Hello, and welcome to a Mind Matters podcast, presented by A Light for Change, where we talk about the who, what, where, why, and how we as a community can make positive changes. The when is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Pass Cards. The card drawn is green for creative thinking, and the question is, if you won a million dollars, what would you do with it? Well, assuming that I took home a million dollars after government and lottery fees, I would realize a million dollars doesn't go far these days. I would probably invest 75% in a guaranteed high interest option, then I would use 25% of it to pay a good amount on anything I had going on, loan and credit repayment wise, invest in opening my business, and then create a grant anniversary where the annual interest will go towards ongoing mental health care for a clinically affected person or schooling for someone seeking to get into the industry. This is season one, mental health, episode 10, planning to live with joy and success inclusive of mental health afflictions, small or consuming. In the last nine episodes, I spent time sharing how to understand mental health so that we can all see each other with a little more compassion and hopefully lower the percentage of the population that is negatively afflicted by the life they have lived and continue to live. In this and the next episode, I'm going to introduce my understanding of how to live life in a mindfully joyous way by going deeper on the topic perspective happiness and choosing to live with purposeful intention. Today's topic I will cover a little more in season three, as I want to take you on a journey to understanding your role in the game of life in season two, before I set you up with information on how to win at your own game, so you can appreciate the journey and really see the impact that each of us tiny human specs have in the big cosmic picture. I like to say it takes all types to make the world go around. However, before you can determine your role in life, It does help to understand how to own your life. This so-called system has set up a complacent growth plan, but if trying to fit your puzzle piece into that plan isn't giving you much joy, then you can take the plan into your own hands. It starts by reminding yourself of the meaning and or purpose of your life activities. At this particular moment, I like to explain this to my peers with activity. First though, I want to remind you that if you are doing the activities I outline in these podcasts, that you are doing this for you and no one else. No one is going to read your papers. There is even something spiritual to say about burning your worries and intentions when you're done writing them out and making what's in your mind and putting it into reality. Be honest with yourself and your answers and try to keep them simple, in line with what you are asking yourself. Now for the activity. Take a piece of paper and write joy on the top and fold it in half. On one side, label it your way as brings you joy on one side and doesn't bring you joy on the other, whichever words you want to use. Now flip it over and write on the back a single word that represents you and what you value most. 
not the role you have now, but what drives you. For me, it is happiness, but it could be anything you think suits you. It could be success, wealth, comfort, love, family, being relevant, being accepted, peace, adventure, thrill, balance, order, tradition, creativity, purpose, longevity, being desired, being in control, knowledge, wonder, tranquility, and passion are just a few values which I intentionally listed all over the board to convey your value is as unique as you are. Now flip the page back over and start thinking about all the different things you do in a day, week, month, year, when you can, for yourself, for others, all your hobbies, habits, interests, responsibilities, even those things you say you want to do but keep putting off. Now write them all down, placing them on the side that you feel it suits best. Or if you are indifferent about it, place it in the middle. If you're like me, your page is littered with words right now and it's hard to fit anymore. In the next step, we are going to try to build a picture, but looking at each one, so you may want to find a way to make the three parts clear. Split the groups into three separate pages, whatever works for you. I'm so detail-oriented my energizer and an energizer buddy, I had to break mine into groups with each section and abandon the bubbles for a spreadsheet, but I don't expect you, any of you to do that, so let's get into the next part of the activity. You're going to look at each activity regardless of its category and ask yourself these questions. Why are you doing the activity? What do you like about the activity? What do you not like about the activity? Is the activity for you or someone else? Would you miss any part of the activity if you didn't do it anymore? Did you see this activity as part of your long-term plan? What is your role in the activity? What is your role? What is the role of other people directly involved with you in the activity? What is the energy or feeling of the activity? How much energy, mental or physical, does it require of you? How often or long do you partake in the activity? What do you physically feel like when you prepare for the activity, when you partake in the activity and after the activity? And how does the activity affect your health? How does the activity relate to your view of your identity and others' view of it? You don't have to write it all down, but now you're going to look for a common thread that appears across each section. I noticed that mine on my joy side were activities that had me appreciated for in a, a difference in some making a difference in some way that I found that family and close friends were at the core of most of my joy activities and that I was more engaged when given the freedom to learn and understand for myself. I noticed that on the side of things that gave me a sense of lacking joy, there was a repeating theme of being made to conform, confrontation, lack of logical purpose or organization, and things that took valuable time away from doing things that bring me joy. In the indifferent section, it seemed to be all the activities that were considered self-care, 
you will see your own patterns emerge as you look at the activities you fill your time with. But from there, we are going to take those threads and sew in some more questions that will help us weave the foundation of our path. Now ask yourself how the threads compare to what you value most. Do you still feel what you wrote is what you value most or would you adjust your value to reflect what brings you joy more? Ask yourself how the joy threads play into what you value most and then how the activities of indifference and little joy play into what you value most. When I did the activity, the process was explained in a way that sent me into project mode, digging a bottomless hole. But in simple terms, you want to determine why you do the activity, its importance, and if it's worth keeping in your schedule, and different ways to perceive the activity. I noticed that not much of the activities I considered joyous that I fit into my schedule directly made me happy in the traditional sense and that things that should, I was indifferent about. So I asked myself, do I want to change my value to something else? Maybe family. But then I realized that all the activities on either side that related to my family and close friends carried the tone of making sure they were happy. I sat and looked at all the words on my chart again and reflected for a while, but soon realized that the whole concept of making a difference also applied to either giving joy to others or increasing the sense that they lacked it or decreasing, sorry, or easing the sense that they lacked it. This let me understand that happiness was still at the center of my value. So I had to ask myself why I took myself away from the equation of being happy. In the beginning of my therapy, I concluded that I felt I didn't deserve it for some reason that I turned it into a rule from when I was a child. But having been blessed with the support network I have, I came to realize another important fact. To others, I am a symbol of happiness. In many of the episodes, you will hear the phrase, flip the script, which is what I did. I value happiness because I am happy to just live and understand the world. But what I want is others to get just as much of a sense of awe and wonder from life as I do. So I sacrificed myself to try and give it to them. I also noticed that there was very little I did that wasn't important to me or my loved ones. And they, are, they all bore relevance to my long-term plan. I will get into the long-term plan in, in season three and go into that topic in more detail, balancing out all the activities in your schedule. Everyone's schedule will look different and we will all have different ways of organizing it. Again, remembering you are doing this for you, so do this part your way too. Before my nervous breakdown, I had no problem doing all that I do, but I also didn't sleep much and was fueled by tea. Now I'm hyper empathetic and feel the mental afflictions of everyone I am near, even if they are hiding it well. Tell me nothing. And so every interaction with others 
set me into activities that played into my value and I wasn't healing. I was burning the wick at both ends and frustrated. My afflictions were causing a burnout, doing things that made little difference. We live in a world that is generally unhappy. I needed to find a way to still be true to the helper sage role I wear with pride and still do all the things I am responsible for and take better care of myself. I started to plot everything into a schedule, which is what you're going to do next. Depending on how many activities you fill your time with, this task can range in difficulty. My first had me doing something different every hour, some with four things in the hour, and no free time for months. I was book solid, never getting more than five hours sleep, and hadn't even fit in work yet. I was still on medical leave of absence. For a skilled problem solver, this problem seemed unsolvable. I mean, I couldn't add hours to the day, and I didn't want to remove any of the activities. I was now forced to do some real soul-searching, so I turned to my support network for advice and was surprised by what came of those deep conversations. It can be very eye-opening to get other people's opinions. Some suggested I revamp my life to include a job that helps people, like going back to healthcare. Others put forward the idea that I lean on others to take some of the weight of the activities. But the most revealing information was from family, which was they appreciate all that I do, but many of the things are too much for them for one reason or another and don't really bring them joy. I never thought my vision of becoming happy, learned through my upbringing, wouldn't bring others joy. My daughter revealed to me that I did not need to plan so many birthday and holiday events on such a social level because it makes her feel anxious. In a long conversation, I found out that she is like me and open to so many different things, but her friends are not so much. She protects her ability to be accepted by only showing each group the parts of her they can appreciate. I was allowed to meet them all and like them all, so I invited all her friends to every event, but that meant she had to act like she had a multi-personality disorder and bounce around from group to group, which was just too much for her to handle. She'd go into a panic and wouldn't tell me because she was thankful for how much work I had put into doing something so nice for everyone. That made me think about how many activities were like that. So I decided to test the waters with the suggestions I had been given. First, I decided to look into the option of changing my career option and making my eight hours dedicated to productivity one that suits my role. But I quickly realized that every possible route of doing so was a long-term plan that exposed me to more struggle and financial difficulty in the process, despite how much meaning each route would bring my life. Then I followed the advice that I lean on what is actually beneficial for me to do. I learned to learn to do what is actually beneficial for me by leaning on others for a while. I said I was going on a self-care staycation, but I stripped my schedule bare for three weeks. I had two fridges, a pantry, a cold storage, and three chest freezers full of food 
so all I did was sleep, look after my children's needs, and spend time hanging out with my family, working out, and I would sleep and eat there here and there too. I didn't spend money on anything but the bills and just took time to see what reactions I got from others. During that time, I was shown the appreciation people have for my message, but no one was ready to march the same happy beat as it seemed impossible to make any difference in society that was causing them each the pain I was trying to take away. They were right. I realized that we couldn't keep yelling a red tape covered brick wall that even the largest organizations could only get to the point where they were receiving pennies and menial activities to support their cause, which is what I was doing on the small scale and was just told was pointless. As I thought to myself about how we can stop addressing the results of the problem and start addressing the source of the problem, but what was the source of the problem? We are our society, but society is causing us pain. So we are causing our own pain, but didn't realize because the individual was being afflicted by the collective. How is I supposed to address that circle of thought? In order to help people, I need to help the individual not be affected by the collective, but the people had to collectively make the choice to be themselves, which was a taboo and was better to go with the flow and follow the collective than get bashed around in the white capped undertow until you drowned. I decided if I couldn't get people to stand up and take change into their own hands, I would show them what an ideal society looked like and entice them to choose to stand for a tangible method forward. I decided a real-world working model, micro-community of businesses and clubs that followed the mindful, joyous model would work. But it was going to take a lot of money to get started, even though each business would generate money to compensate after only a year or two. I needed to go back to work again, so I faced the same conundrum if I wanted to afford it, except now I knew I could take, I could cut out about 40% of my activities and bring them back in after if I followed this plan I designed. It seems to be human nature to put ourselves last in care of others particularly. If you have chosen to be a parent or work in a caregiver industry where an attachment or bond can form. For many of us, it takes practice to prioritize yourself, but don't forget to give yourself some self-care and unwind time. For processing your events and self-monitoring, knowing what to be on the lookout for, from all the work you've been putting into learning why your brain clock ticks the way it does. You can start setting yourself up for practice with what your day will be like and making it a habit in baby steps after you have given yourself an idea of what the ideal schedule focused on things that bring you joy looks like and taking the time to move those things you can't rid your life of 
from the sad side to the joy side by flipping the script and realizing how it relates to your value. As I just revealed through my personal story, perspective is very important to living well, which is why it is important to have the emotional hygiene to be able to share yours with others and take the time to understand theirs. The movie that is playing in your mind is not one anyone else can see. The conversation you have with yourself can't be heard by anyone else. Those angel and demon chips on your shoulder are only talking in your ear. So if you want people to see your playing field, you have to describe it to them the way, the author, the way an author tells a story, using your words and actions to paint a series of images their brain can take in to understand where you came from, made you who you are, and that you is just trying to make a happier you that it will become. Earlier, I asked you to consider the role other people play in an activity you partake in, which corresponds to what I'm saying. For example, you may want to make little changes to your work schedule, environment, or give your responsibilities a slightly different angle, but your boss's role is to ensure the company is running productively on as low an overhead as possible. So to your boss, your seemingly harmless ideas that will give you more joy at work and personal are personal luxuries and not acceptable in the workplace. This creates a conflict, but doesn't mean your boss has it out for you, just that your roles in that situation is not in line with each other's. This is a particular issue for those with afflicted mental health, because in the eyes of most companies, the idea that you can have an episode without warning or clear signs that can be resolved by known methods like you can with a physical inability to be a liability that could potentially cost the company money with increased threat of this if other employees expect the same treatment or fake conditions to get such. It takes empathy to understand that their role is not a direct reflection of you, but it also takes awareness and clear boundaries. Awareness means getting information about what to expect, like where you are going, what you will be doing, what your role is to be in that situation, what processes you are following in the situation, and be okay with asking what other already others already know or perceive about you and your unique circumstances. My therapists have a clear warning to reduce the number of firsts you have on your first day as much as possible so you can take time to process each with more ease. Though sometimes it is unavoidable, like when you start a new job, but you are allowed to advocate for yourself and ask them to give you time to process the information you have just taken in. I actually find it rather bizarre, but it seems that the less educated you are in the scholarly sense, the more you are expected to be able to retain vast amounts of information in a very short time and to operate in a more machine-like fashion, which in my opinion should be expected more of those who have acquired training to use their mind like a computer, recalling vital data that affects many than those who made choices that have them putting your groceries through the cash or like that.
It is sad, but it is a reality that we belittle those who put their heart into working hard to do their part to make the world go around and praise those who do not appreciate what they have the capability of based on a little piece of paper. Seeing as we have lived in a world that has made interaction with others cold in order to stay focused on breaking the glass ceiling for a view from high up, we all need to have boundaries. Have you ever discussed conditions or lines in the sand in your relationships? Do you adhere to them? Those lines in the sand are your boundaries. If you constantly let people cross them without repercussion, then you are probably not living your truth living true to yourself, and seeing joy in your life. You don't need to kick anyone or thing to the curb if they attempt to cross your boundaries, but you need to be clear you won't stand for it even though you understand their reasons why. Be ready to answer possible confrontational questions as they are not going to be aware of how to handle your stance that is not in line with theirs. Advocating for yourself about what you need in a positive manner while amicably addressing how you can move forward productively towards the situation's purpose without crossing your lines in the sand. This goes for every person you have ongoing interactions with, forming a relationship of sorts. Being one of the rare folks who choose to find joy in life, I can tell you that it makes you stand out and often seen as an easy target. When in my mind, was tolerating my everything is going to be okay, just keep swimming philosophy on life, which I outlined in my first book. My eyes for joy were much stronger, but as I started, as my life started making me feel the misery floating in the air, I was breathing. I noticed I needed to have accommodations put in place so I could keep seeing the joy as clear as I once did. Maybe you need time allotted throughout the day to collect your thoughts and readdress issues when you've made sense of how you can productively move forward. Or maybe you need to include some of the distress management or mindfulness tools into your environment. Again, your needs are going to be uniquely yours and could be many. I have found it best to seek good faith by presenting how my accommodation requests will be used to enhance my ability to productively meet the purpose without disruption to the preferred procedure or standards instead of pointing blame for how I will be limited in productivity if that accommodation is not permitted. Once you feel set up to move forward, don't be afraid to fail. Just communicate your vulnerability. Reflect on how you address it and adjust reminding people life is a learning process, even more so when you're trying to find a happy middle ground with someone. My experience has led me to believe that the more flexible you are at finding a common idea to move forward with, the more ease you will have in finding support and people willing to understand what you communicate about yourself. Support comes in many forms, and different people and or things will play different roles on how they support you. Some will be places or people you turn to to talk Others will be your source to hear a different point of view. There will be those who 
you'll go to for a comforting hug and others you will turn to for a little tough love motivation. There will be those you go to for a distraction from what weighs you down and those you go to for reminders you're not as bad as you think you are. Some sources will help you get centered while others will help you track and analyze your behaviors. There will be others as well who will have no input, but will just be a source to vent to, while some you will seek out because you know they enjoy psychoanalyzing things. You could use some help getting to the bottom of something. Some will help you get back to the past they shared with you and help you remember what you repressed and more still will serve you as reminders of your goals and the path you designed to get there. Many will help you turn your light back on and see the world with a little less darkness, while there is also going to be those who will stand with you as an avenging warrior trying to beat life out of your way. (coughs) However, 90% of these sources will be terrified, flying by the seat of their pants, not knowing who to talk to or act around you, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) how to talk to you or act around you, whether or not you have opened up about how your brain works or not. So you need to be clear about what you seek. If you don't want to hear their answers, that it's going to be okay, that sucks, just keep going, you got this, buck up buttercup, it's all in your head, and I know how you feel, then say so. Tell them what you need for them. Let them know in whatever way you think will work that you know they care and they don't need to know what to say just to understand. See you and keep being there by your side as you discover yourself through your painful journey. Not everyone needs to be close to you to be a support. I have found that sometimes it is easier to get things off your chest to strangers in the same boat because I don't have to worry about their judgment later. Support groups can help you not feel alone in your struggles, but it is also very comfortable, comforting to confide in those you love under the right circumstances. Being honest about yourself can really take a weight off particularly in this world, we glorify the A side and ignore the B side. Set yourself up for a vent session in your first few weeks of any new circumstances. An average day is a lot to take in, even for the most stable minds. There's a constant barrage of emotions hitting you on rapid fire from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. Adding The emotions that come from experiencing something new adds a whole new level to what you have to process. Don't stop doing new things, but make time to get it off your chest, even if it's just writing it in a journal. Journaling can also be very helpful to look back on when you notice you're slipping back into negative thoughts. Reoccurrences are expected. There are a lot of harsh aspects of the reality we live in today that take a bigger toll on our brains than our bodies. By tracking and analyzing yourself as you go, it can be easier to pinpoint the moment that things started to change and the positivity and productive path 
started to fade. It also helps to keep the worry down to preparation, but of course there's the possibility you will get hit in the face with a big episode, even if you rarely have a small one anymore. The very fact that our mental conditioning is invisible adds to the level of confrontation that is faced. It is not like a broken leg you can see requires some levels of compassion. I will talk about how to communicate in the next episode, but advocating and disclosing is currently the only tool we must turn and use for confrontation and to be able to turn confrontation into support. There's a great resource you can use for a wellness check when you need it at HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash the working mind dot CA continuum slash self slash check to bring things full circle fitting all this in your schedule and managing daily afflictions can cause you burnouts and setbacks I'm sure if you asked anyone they would display they have good intentions to care for their minds and others with compassion just as they would say ideally they would care for their physical health The reality for both is that intention is not the same as dedication. Intention without follow-through will surely result in setbacks, but overt dedication in the follow-through can surely cause burnout. It seems again we're damned if we do or damned if we don't. It is a constant balancing act of mindful experience and calculated drive. My Resiliency Workbook describes burnout with the following quotes. A state of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion caused by long-term involvement in emotionally demanding situations, as per Ayala Pines and Elliot Aronson, a state of fatigue or frustration brought about by devotion to a cause, way of life, or relationship that failed to produce the expected reward, as described by Hubert J. Frudenberg. And these definitions embrace the core meaning of burnout. The first identifies the role exhaustion plays in burnout, and the second considers how burnout can result from the loss of meaning in activities or relationships. Burnout for me wasn't as visible in the past as I am prepared for it being soon as I take on my lofty ambitions. I jokingly call myself an energizer bunny because I often seem to have this magical way of refueling my energy by focusing on my mission. But I have also told you I tended to quit inches away from the diamond mine with excuses my family needed me. Each time I quit, though, there was another common thread that I noticed in my Connect the Dot life stories. I I also usually had school a career job, a part-time job, and a thousand hats I wore for my family, which admittedly played a role in my quitting under Pines and Aronson's definition. Since my breakdown, I have chosen to take on the grand and noble mission of advocating for everyone to learn emotional hygiene as part of humanity moving into this new emotional era. But the long-standing taboos 
affect my support, causing it to swell and recede like a wave. And finding funding seems to be harder without a direct cause. We are not ready to accept how broken we all are, but our children are. And we owe it to them to know how to exist in their emotional world instead of our historically proven, calloused, thick-skinned ways. I know how necessary it is to heal because I used to be the happy one who seemed to all around me as balanced and in control. But through these episodes, I revealed to all of you how wrong that concept was. My realization that we are all human, visibly broken or not, and we all need care. There are many who champion for mental health care, a number whom I've quoted, but I want to help people understand that it's not just about the broken. It's about stopping the infection before it ever starts. We all have the power to take care of ourselves. We have the power to shine our light on others and to let them know it's okay to heal now. I have already faced the second definition from facing so much red tape on my journey but the encouragement of those I encounter keep reminding me to pause, care for myself, analyze, and adjust to avoid the burnout. We are all more than our parts, but it's hard work standing out from the crowd and finding the wildflower blooming <coughs> in a concrete jungle or barren desert. So look out for those specific symptoms of burnout, which my resiliency workbook indicates include... Dreading going into work and wanting to leave once you're there, having low energy or little interest at work, having trouble sleeping, frequent work absences, having feelings of emptiness, experiencing physical complaints such as headaches, illness, or backache, being irritated easily by team members or clients, feeling resentment towards others, thinking your work doesn't have meaning or make a difference, pulling away emotionally, Feeling your work and contributions go unrecognized. Blaming others for your mistakes. Thinking of quitting your work or changing your roles. My workbook also outlines these methods of preventing and coping with burnout. Find positivity in the workplace or amongst your peers. It can be hard at times to find anything positive, especially if you are experiencing symptoms of burnout. Try to look for the deeper impact of what you do. Does your work or hobby make life better for other people or for yourself? Evaluate your job. Clarify expectations. Explore increasing your ability to manage your own routine or schedule. Managing conflict and address unreasonable work demands. Practice a healthy lifestyle by exercising regularly, engaging in healthy sleep practice, and eating healthy. And to use stress management and coping strategies such as mindfulness, deep breathing, thought logs, and self-soothing kits. Life is life, always impacting us, driving us to make choices, which means we can't always take the time we need for proper care. And if we already ignored the signs, we are burning out. I quote my resiliency workbook often as its words the topic well, but it warns that the feeling 
that feeling the symptoms of burnout can cause us to forget to engage in effective coping strategies. It is important to use stress management techniques such as deep breathing, mindfulness, and reaching out to others for support. The effects of a 24-hour lifestyle followed by two years of intense stress during the COVID pandemic has left most of us burnt out and drained of joyous ambition. COVID was a great example of a setback in humanity's will to overcome as much as it was a devastation that will go down in history. What are setbacks? The Cambridge Dictionary describes it as something that happens and delays or prevents a processing from developing. The therapy In therapy, our resiliency workbook makes us think about how throughout our lives we experience setbacks, disappointments, and failures. Informing us, it is how we view the setbacks that influence how we think, feel, and act in response. I call it interactions fingerprints. And in an earlier episode, I talked about how a thought process happens, but that thought process from forms of calculation that have you telling yourself there have been many setbacks. It's time to quit making you forget to see how much you grew from each setback. And this time is no different. Emotional states such as negative moods, repetitive thoughts, increased pain, or feelings of anxiety will always exist. Just because you choose to be joyous doesn't mean they disappear. When we experience feelings we aren't expecting, it is a setback, and it does not discount the gains you have made. We all go through setbacks that make feeling that may feel discouraging but they are a natural part of the recovery and growth process. Our brain communicates us, communicates with us every waking moment, as well as in REM sleep. But the emotion we experience under setbacks can occur due to a variety of reasons. Setbacks can be a, relation, a relationship falling apart, a missed opportunity, a failure or loss, needing more education, lack of support, resorting to safety behaviors, forgetting to care for ourselves, a fight with a friend or family member, money troubles, or anything that adds complication or uncertainty, really. Again, my resiliency workbook points out to remind ourselves and determine that circumstances are often out of our control. They are not a reflection of our abilities, They may, however, be the result of letting go of practices which initially assisted us during our recovery. This also, it also has this to say about how to prevent setbacks. These strategies can help prevent setbacks from occurring, identifying high risk situations and avoiding them, identifying early warning signs, and preparing a plan of action. The following are strategies that can help you cope when setbacks do occur. Focus on the future more than the past. Learn from the experience. Stay positive. Reach out to your support system.
The workbook also warns it can be easy to stop using the skills that you have learned when you start to feel better or when you feel overwhelmed. This is when it is most important to have a plan in place to prevent old negative habits from returning and keep looking for ways to be happy. I have a hard time thinking of a time I felt I was set back in the moment, but I have given you many examples of setbacks that I have lived through. In the reason the reason I don't recall them as a setback is because I never stopped trying to move forward. In fact, every success story you listen to describes the person having failed a number of times, readjusting and trying again until the re- eureka moment came. I do remember feeling defeated when I wanted to go back to work after 15 years of raising three children, each four and three quarters years apart in age till they were school age and was told my education was worthless, being out of date after so long, and I didn't have current experience, making me not worth hiring in comparison to other candidates. I'm almost, I almost regretted my decision to choose a focus on family over a career and felt I had been banished to mediocrity. I still haven't figured out how to overcome this, but part of me thinks I am not supposed to. I'm supposed to take my ideas to others who did choose that path and partner with them. Having a mind that spins golden ideas like Rumpelstiltskin, but never being in the circumstances to get them out, it often makes me feel worthless and only adds to the idea I don't deserve good things. Despite having all the abilities to be successful, my ideas sit in a binder on a shelf. Not because life sucks, but because I made choices throughout my life to neglect the parts of me that make me great and to let the parts of me that are good shine. I guess I always knew it was my choice to be humble, which allowed me to be happy in my circumstances. According to my resiliency workbook, you can try the following to improve your happiness. Smile more often. Write in the gratitude journal. Spend time on activities you find enjoyable. Practice mindfulness. Treat people nicely. Exercise regularly. Spend time with people you enjoy. Set and achieve goals. Celebrate small successes. Practice self-compassion and self-care. Where you are now might not be where you find your ultimate happiness. It is, where, it is important to recognize that you can seek happiness in various other aspects of your life. Why not choose to be happy even when life is bleak? You only have one. And the next part of preparing is to plan your path you wish to walk. Everything moves through stages and some things you plan will fail at different stages, so it's good to have a backup plan weaved into the main plan or to just foresee the possibility of failure under various possible outcomes to realize there is more than one way to reach your goals. The universe has laws on how to develop and grow that sees us moving through 12 vital stages of learning in order to create something lasting and beautiful. I have found that following these laws also lends to regeneration and the ability to reinvent yourself when needed. That's how I used it when I was growing up. Now I use these laws to ask myself where I am at in learning and how to live truly happy
with purposeful intention. Grab a piece of paper and draw a path, putting your mission statement at the end of the path you drew, placing the four biggest goals you need to think you need to achieve to get there along the path, spaced out nicely. Now make mini stops along the path goal markers that say the steps you need to take to reach each of those four goals. The beginning of the path is where you are now, but I want you to think you are holding a roadmap. Right in front of where you stand now on the path, draw another small path using a different color that drops down and runs parallel to the path you drew for a short bit. That is the path you were following before you decided to make the changes you are now. It is important not to forget what inspired you to make the change so you can so you don't decide to follow its path again, even though it requires less dedication. From there, you can draw in some alternative routes that can bring you to each goal so when you get lost, you can find your way back. There is not much more to do now, but follow the path as you, and adjust as you go. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about this mindfulness exercise until then as well. Think for a minute on the qualities, characteristics, attributes, roles, and values, as well as circumstances you see as the ideal future you. Now make it tangible by either writing an ekphrasic poem about the you that you desire to be, or my favorite way, make a collage in the form of a person out of pictures that represent the words you use to describe that you. Place what you made in your spot at the end of the path you're working on, designing it in your agenda or on your mirror or anywhere else you look often to remind yourself of where you are going. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, Pass Cards for short. This question will be the opening question for next episode. The card drawn is yellow for forethought, and the question is, what would you like to stop doing? We will get to that next week, but in the meantime, you can get your Pass Cards at the Graduate Thrivers dot com website which is spelled www capital g small r a d capital u small i t capital t small h r i v e r s dot com stay wonderful wholesome happy open-minded and natural and smile as much as you can take care until we talk again this has been heidi hardy on a mind matters podcast created by a light for change